All right, welcome to the conversation. Steny Hoyer is one of the worst corporate politicians in the whole country. Uh, not just in the Democratic Party, in all of politics. Uh, in fact, recently, TYT investigates did a story about how uh, he helped his Wall Street donors in ending the eviction moratorium. And he is actually the number two Democrat in the House. I say actually, but yeah, it shouldn't be a surprise to you. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House because she raises the most amount of money, and then Steny Hoyer raises the second most. And Steny Hoyer, uh, then does favors for those corporate donors that he raised the money from. That's kind of how it works. Well, he's got a huge challenger this time around. Michaela Wilkes challenged him last time and did really, really well. And now she's coming back for another run, even I think under better circumstances. So we want to talk to her. Michaela, welcome back to the TYT. Hi, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, absolutely. So last time around, there was another progressive in the race. In fact, you guys even debated on the show. And this time, it looks like it's just you versus Steny Hoyer. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So last time, you got, is it true you got over 40,000 votes? Yes, that's correct. Now, look, the margin was still wide, but that's a monster number of votes. I think that's way more than AOC got when she beat Crowley. So every district's different, voter turnout is different. But your 600 volunteers last time were amazing. So I wanna talk about your stance, I wanna talk about everything. But let's start with how's your campaign doing as we speak now? And and why are you confident that you could win this time around? The campaign is going great now. Um, we had some lessons that we took away from last cycle, which is that we needed to start early, um, that we needed to get support early, and that we needed to raise money early. And so that is exactly what we're doing now. We're stronger than ever. Um, last cycle, I was a first time candidate. We had a lot of first time um, campaign staffers and volunteers, but this time we are strong. We are building on top of the infrastructure and the momentum and the movement um, that we started last cycle. Um, and so I'm really confident that this cycle, we're actually going to be able to pull it off. Yeah, so look, Michaela, one of the things I really like about you is you're no holds barred. So at the end of your statement, I'm running again for Congress because it's past time for some damn change. So tell me where you got that attitude from. Tell me about your life and why it's brought you to this moment. Uh, because I've had the same congressman for my entire life. Steny Hoyer has been in Congress for 42 years, um, back when Reagan was first elected, and we are still living in the Reagan era now. And so when I say that it's time for some damn change, I mean that it is time for some fundamental change that is actually going to transform our communities. And it's just not what we're seeing right now with our current representative. Right. So. Uh- I really found your life story interesting too, because we we warn about school to prison pipelines all the time. And you co-founded, I'm sorry, you're the executive director of Schools Not Jails because of something that happened to you. So tell us about that. Exactly. Um, So I was thrown into the school to prison pipeline. I was dealing with depression after losing my aunt on September 11th. Um, She worked at the Pentagon Um, and I was dealing with depression. And instead of, you know, the school administration around me, 
offering me the resources that I needed. They actually offered my mom the solution of putting me on probation in which I was incarcerated for up to 10 days for every one day of school I would miss or for each class that I would be tardy to. And so coming up with Schools Not Jails was a kind of a way to work from the ground to dismantle the school to prison pipeline. And speaking of that, I was directly impacted by Steny Hoyer. He's someone who signed on to every single crime bill that is ever written, specifically the 1994 crime bill that actually increased the amount of funds towards the school resource officer program on the federal level. Yeah, guys, see, Michaela's story is so emblematic of how deeply racist our system is without white folks even knowing about it. Because Michaela, I missed a bunch of days of school, nobody would put me in jail. Because I grew up in a generally white suburb, right? I happen to be Muslim and Turkish, but but it was it was a, it was a white suburb. Nobody's going to jail. We get into fights. There'd be knives sometimes, but nobody ever went to jail. You know, you miss a couple of days out of grief, and next thing you know, they're trying to ruin your life. And it was those bills. Yes, Bill Clinton was a huge part of it. Honestly, Joe Biden was a huge part of it. And Steny Hoyer was an enormous part of it. So, and then you're an enormous advocate for Medicare for all, which Steny Hoyer is opposed to. So, what happened in your life that made you such an advocate for it? Yeah, so actually this happened in 2014, which that year was a really pivotal moment for me. I was pregnant with my daughter Madison, who's gonna be turning seven in November. And I went to the hospital at least about four times complaining about shortness of breath. And each time I was dismissed, my pain was not taken seriously until the last time I refused to leave the hospital. And they had a doctor come into my room and they ordered an ultrasound and found out that I had blood clots, one behind each knee and one in my lung, which was causing the shortness of breath. I was basically on the brink of having a pulmonary embolism. And the medication for that was really expensive. I didn't understand why at the time I wasn't able to go home. But my doctor and my team of physicians explained to me that my health insurance that I thought was good health insurance, you know, I had never been really, you know, seriously sick before. But apparently my health insurance didn't see my life as valuable. They looked at it as a commodity and were refusing to pay for life-saving medications, completely disregarding not only my life, but the life that I was growing inside of me. That's insane, man. Blood clots are super serious. I've lost several friends to blood clots, including great talk show host Michael Brooks. He died of blood clots. And it happens to you and they say, who cares? We've got the system completely under control. We've bought off all these politicians and they'll let us do this private healthcare insurance and we make money by denying your care. And by the way, a lot of these politicians, not the Democrats like horror, but a lot of these politicians claim to be pro-life. Meanwhile, they're okay with you passing away, your baby passing away inside of you. Because at that point, you know, you're very advanced in your pregnancy. They don't care, they don't care, right? And so we need Medicare for all. But the good news is your district is trending towards Medicare for all, right? What's the, tell us about the news coming out of the district. Yeah, so actually Prince George's County passed the Medicare for all kind of resolution. But basically the district is moving towards wanting a universal healthcare system. And I think that this is largely in part due to the crisis of COVID-19, right? 
COVID-19 has showed us all that health insurance, health care should not be tied to number one, your employment, and for number two, whether you can pay for it or not. And so we're starting to see a political shift here in our district, and it's really exciting to see you know, where we're moving towards. It's really unfortunate that it took for millions of people to lose their lives, for millions of people to lose their jobs, their homes, everything to be just taken from under the ground from them. But what's also unfortunate is that these problems have already existed before COVID, but COVID pretty much exacerbated that. It highlighted every single issue, especially within our healthcare, within our healthcare system in this country, which is broken. And so we're starting to see here in the district that people are starting to look at that and see that we do need to move towards something that is more equitable for everyone and that we don't need to treat people's lives as if it's a commodity because it's not. Okay, that's great. And um Look, unfortunately, the media is such a giant part of the equation in these races. So I don't know how you know they've treated you in this race. So has the coverage been fair? How's it gone so far? Um, in my opinion, I don't believe the coverage has been fair. There have been um, a number of articles that have came out um, about women running for office and myself um, has not been included. There's another challenger um, that is running against, I believe, Dutch Ruppersberger. Sorry if I mispronounced their name, um, but she's also another black woman that is a progressive. Um, and we both have pretty much been erased from that conversation. Yeah, how about, now the problem is you're running against number two Democrat in the House. So when AOC did it against number four Democrat in the House, ain't nobody gonna support it. That's why we started Just Democrats so that people like her could be supported because nobody in power would do it. And so have any groups backed you? Have any Congress people backed you or no? Um, so actually, uh, we have been endorsed by um, a few groups. We've been endorsed by a, a number of our local Sunrise Movement chapters. Um, we've been endorsed by Roots Action. Um, we've also been endorsed by a number of elected officials um, that are inside of the district. Um, and I don't know if, if this is known, but last cycle, a lot of elected officials were really reluctant to supporting our race because of the Maryland political machine. But to see that we have a numerous amount of elected officials that have already endorsed our race. And this was early on in our race around the time when we first announced. It's really exciting and shows that this time around is going to be different. Yeah, so look, I need the audience to understand. Last time, like I said, there was two progressives. It's hard for outside folks to say, which one should we support, right? But Michaela worked so hard to get all those volunteers to knock on a record number of doors. Got the most amount of votes against any horror that anybody's ever gotten in 40 years. And so give us your website, Michaela, because people need to come and support you. Volunteers, donations, etc. Obviously no corporate PAC money, so everybody help out. Otherwise, you know, if we don't stick together, we have no chance. Absolutely. Our website is MichaelaWilkes.com. And like I said before, we need support early on. So definitely support us with a contribution. And also we phone bank every Monday from six to eight. So help us speak with voters so that we can actually speak with as many people as possible. Because that's literally the only way we're gonna win. Yeah, Michaela has two giant advantages. One, she's really progressive and doesn't mind telling you. Okay, and and that leads into the second one, which is that she's strong. As soon as I see a strong candidate working their ass off and believes that, that you can do these things, I see a winner. 
So, uh, Michaela Wilkes, thank you for joining us. Thank you for running again. And thank you for working so hard to make this happen. Thank you so much for giving me and other progressives a platform. All right, back on the conversation. Uh, now we're gonna bring in Adam Eichen. He's the executive director of Equal Citizens and co-author of Daring Democracy. Uh, and we're gonna talk about For the People Act. And uh, it's deeply frustrating, but anyways, he's optimistic. Let's talk about it. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, no problem. So uh, there's, there's a lot to t- tackle here. First of all, For the People Act, uh, just to catch folks up. Uh, is is a great piece of legislation, and I don't often say that uh, about Democratic proposals, but this one really is. Uh, it has, uh, in my opinion, two parts to it. One is the voting rights; the other is uh, anti-corruption. Uh, Adam, just so you know, I, I never thought they were going to pass the anti-corruption parts. The, the Democratic Party is corrupt; they're not going to pass that. There's no way, and that's what they're gutting right now in the Senate. We'll get back to that in a second. But the voting rights is essential. Not just for the country and not just for progressives, but for the Democratic Party. Are these morons really not going to pass it? That would be shocking. So, so my job here is to be optimistic. Here, you already you already introduced it. Um, I'm feeling really, if not optimistic, I sense greater possibility than we've ever had that we can pass uh, new federal standards around the right to vote, around or against gerrymandering and to reduce the role of big money in politics. So for the past year, we've been fighting for the For the People Act, this major transformative piece of legislation that as you say, is really just a sensational bill that would move us closer to a democracy that represents all of us. Um, you know, There have been hurdles along the way, uh, there's been a major grassroots effort. So this is something the media doesn't cover often. It's across the country, there have been activists fighting to make sure this bill stays on kind of the, the, the front burner in the Senate. Because um, as we know, things go to the Senate to die. Um, because of that grassroots pressure, that grassroots pressure, it has remained at the top of the agenda in the Senate. And even though, for example, Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, initially announced that he opposed the bill, uh, we're actually back in a situation where we brought him from opposing the bill to back to the negotiating table. And just last week. Uh, the Senate announced that uh, they're releasing a new bill, the kind of a revised version of the For the People Act called the Freedom to Vote uh, Act. And this bill has all of the same buckets of the original For the People Act. It addresses big money in politics, ensures the freedom to vote, and would greatly curtail gerrymandering. And it would address a new issue that's arisen in the past uh, year, which is election subversion. Um, you know, just like the attacks in our democracy are constantly evolving, uh, this bill has taken a next stage. Are there things that were dropped from this bill that I wish were in the original one? Absolutely. If you told me two years ago that we would be at the 20 yard line for a bill that would be as transformative as this one is, then I would have I would have looked at you in the eye and said, you're absolutely insane. Um, I understand there's a lot of reason to be pessimistic, especially around the fact that it's taken the Democrats this long. Uh, to get into a position where they're agreeing on a piece of legislation, I'm with you. But gra- being on the ground here and and seeing the movement to perpetually push the ball forward is really inspiring. And I think that if we keep pushing the ball forward, uh, there's a chance. I'm not going to give probabilities, but there's definitely a chance that we can win this bill and get it through the Senate, even 
by breaking the filibuster. So Adam, I'm not in the pessimistic camp of the mainstream media writers that have written this off in a way that I find to be really ignorant. Because it's not, I'm not saying that out of a hopeful place. I'm a progressive, we've lost a thousand issues, right? No, I'm saying from like, do they not understand politics? The Democrats have to pass this. The voting rights provisions in this bill, they have to. It'd be political suicide not to pass it, right? Um, Absolutely. So, but I got to get to the main question, which is yes, but they, it's impossible to pass it without killing the filibuster. So, yeah. w- what are they going to do, Adam? I mean, do you really think they're going to kill the filibuster? And I'm not saying that pessimistically, because I, no, I no, thought no. they've got to do something because they got to pass this thing. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and again, there it's the filibuster or democracy. We cannot have both. That much is incredibly clear at this point. And like I said, this is going to come down to the grassroots. I'm not saying that I'm 100% sure this bill is going to pass because the biggest question mark is not what the senators do per se, it's what we make them do. All great progressive reform has been at the 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 you know a social movement, a movement of people, of grassroots activists that pushed it, pushed the senators, pushed the president to make sure they actually turn good ideas into law. So this is not going to happen. You're right, this is not going to happen unless there's a groundswell of activism. But I, the reason why I'm still in this fight and I'm still optimistic is because I have watched this movement of people fighting for the For the People Act and now the Freedom to Vote Act and pushing it. Inches by inches, but all of a sudden, look where we are. We're at the 20 yard line. We're, we have a bill that all the Democrats are going to agree to. Again, is it everything that I wanted in the For the People Act? No. Are there things that are better than that were in the For the People Act? Yes. And we're at the 20 yard line now, and we have a chance to get into the end zone. But the difference between the, you know, the ball ending on the 20 yard line versus getting it into the end zone is people power. And there's just no getting around that. And and I think that you know you know you and I have been in this movement for a long time now, right? And again, the idea that we are this close to fundamentally transforming American democracy is still baffling to me. And it's incredibly frustrating that we are this tantalizingly close and we're still up against the Jim Crow filibuster. It's unacceptable. It's frankly absolutely inexcusable that President Biden has not taken a more active role, although that seems to be changing as the clock ticks down. And it's inexcusable that the senators weren't all on the same page up until now. But the fact is that in October of this year or September of this year, we have a bill that would fundamentally transform our American democracy, the Freedom to Vote Act. That again, we're we're moving forward on is a reason for us not to give up, and I, and I think that that's where we no have to no move nobody's forward. giving up, nobody's giving up. You'd be crazy to give up. So I agree. Uh, so Adam, I want to come back to how we kill the filibuster in a second because that's again paramount. But yeah, uh, I I we have to be realistic about who to put the pressure on, right? Because the reality is it's not really Mansion and Cinema as much as it is the media who is just viciously against this bill in the most insane way. The media is the worst, they're the worst. Yeah. They are. They don't do news at all. They just do perpetuating the, the currently powerful. And then the second group or entity that you have to push is really the White House. Because Biden yeah. called it a national imperative. He won because of the African-American vote. This protects the African-American vote than any other bill uh, you know, it, since the, the Voting Rights Act. So isn't it clear that, that, that all the pressure should go to media and Biden to say, if you don't pass this, you, you really failed? You, you- yeah, I mean, 
you 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 hit the nail on the head. I mean, the media has been atrocious. I mean, the the, the, the pundit class has just been, uh, you know, they they have been a force stopping this bill. They have they have tried at every turn to kill momentum here. They pronounced the bill dead. I, I can't even count any how many times they've done that. They they said the bill was dead, and when it was introduced, they said it was a messaging bill. They said this has no chance to pass, and every time they did that, they killed the you know part of the grassroots movement. They they kind of depressed the mobilization, but we kept fighting every step of the way, and to prove that this wasn't just a messaging bill because this is about the future of American democracy, right? And I agree with you that the president has not. Um, done enough here. The president needs to use his the full force of his bully pulpit uh, to push senators to support the Freedom to Vote Act now and to do everything it takes, including getting rid of the Jim Crow filibuster. Because let me be clear, what the Freedom to Vote Act would do is transformative. We're talking same day voter registration, automatic voter registration, early vote period, fair standards for voting by mail, greatly curtailing partisan gerrymandering, reducing the influence of big money in politics, increasing disclosure of money in politics, promoting public finance of elections, attacking election subversion. The list goes on and on and on. This is a transformative bill and the president and frankly, everybody listening to this, we cannot sit on the sidelines here. Because we're, we're up against the clock, we can't wait much longer. This bill must pass and everybody has to be pushing the president and pushing senators and also making it clear, as you said to the media, that this bill's not dead. There's a grassroots movement that they've been ignoring. And, and just you know just as well as I do that people are fed up with the current system. Right. They want a democracy that works for all. And the question now is whether or not our anger is gonna translate to action. And that's the remaining question mark. Yeah, look, guys, the, the the voting rights stuff, the public financing. I mean, if Joe Biden yeah. passes it, gets it passed, you, ha I will have to say for the rest of my life that he had a significant positive legacy, and so transformative. Yeah, transformative. Like it's it's, and if he doesn't pass it at all, then he failed. He just failed, and it, this An was absolute failure. Yes, that this absolute is absolutely failure. critical. So. Um, and but the gerrymandering alone, it's a 60% popularity in the country in the new poll that you guys are involved in. Yeah. 50% of Republicans want to end gerrymandering. I mean, put aside all the other wonderful parts of it, ending gerrymandering, it would be a dream, right? So now, final thing is we've got Absolutely. a minute left, Adam. Yes, but have you heard anything in Washington about how they would get around the filibuster? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of you know a lot of different ideas out there um, that are floating around. There could be a democracy except exemption to the filibuster. There could be reducing the number of votes needed for cloture. Um, the list goes on. There are a bunch of different options. Uh, but again, right now there needs to be more pressure to try and you know get rid of the filibuster or to at least fix the filibuster. And there are a number of groups working on that. I want to give a big shout out to the fix the, uh, the fix the Senate uh, coalition as well as the Declaration for American Democracy Coalition, Black Voters Matter, um, the Poor People's Campaign. These are groups on the front lines right now, making this issue incredibly salient to senators. They have Adam, not, during recess, they haven't given up. Adam, we, we gotta go, but if it's not killing the filibuster overall, which I think the corporate Democrats are gonna be very reluctant to, what is the second best option? Reducing uh, or a, a democracy exception or uh, some sort of way to bypass the filibuster for like this specific piece of legislation. I think that that's a good opportunity. Uh, there are a couple other ideas floating around there, but I think that there are ways to get around complete abolition for this particular piece of legislation. Okay, the democracy exception to the filibuster is 
cheesy, makes no sense, and I'll take it instantly. Uh, so, <laughs> I, I agree with you. Okay, all right, it's Adam Eichen. We should get rid of it, I agree. <laughs> right, Adam Eichen, Executive Director of Equal Citizens, doing great work on this issue. Thank you for joining us, Adam, and thank you for the fight. Thanks so much.